I just wanted to start out by saying that I'm not responsible for this hashtag TGIF. Uh, that was actually Shabu. I think someone needs to take his job on, on putting up our signs. Um, but anyways, it's a great privilege this morning uh, to have the opportunity uh, to talk to you all again. I, I really don't, my mind gets a bit distracted and, and this morning as I, as I left the house, I was like, I think I've got everything, got my sermon, got my iPad, got my backup sermon just in case my iPad crashes, got everything going, walked out, got to my car, realized that I still had my giant gorilla slippers on and was this close to preaching to you this morning in gorilla slippers. So I'm glad that didn't end up happening. Anyways, I'm going to ask God for his help uh, now. This uh, sermon has weighed on me heavily. Uh, It's something that I, in particular, from the nature of who I am, struggle with uh, deeply. Uh, And so I'd ask you to join me in prayer. And just as I speak today, just please remember that um, I'm in the trenches with you. It's not me speaking to you. It's God speaking to me and to you guys. And so I just want to remind you of that. And so please ask God for help with me now. Heavenly Father, uh, I just want to thank you uh, that you are Lord. I want to thank you that you desire to speak to us. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you do that this morning to each one of us individually. Help us to listen, to remove any distractions from our mind, Lord. And I just pray as we reflect on your character and on your Son, that glory will be brought to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we heard from Andy last week, for those of you who are here, he gave us this little introduction into the book of Psalms. And so I'm not going to repeat a lot of what he says, except just to say that the book of Psalms is a very unique book in the Bible. In most other books, we we kind of get a history of the events that have taken place, and, and we see what God says to us. But in the book of Psalms, we get this unique view where we get to stand alongside fellow followers of God and to hear their cries to God. And I think that's why for many of us here, the Psalms is probably one of our favorite books because we can see the pain in there, we can see the confusion, we can see the joy, and we can relate to that. We can relate to the emotion of these people who cried out to God. And if you remember actually last week, Andy drew on this imagery. In fact, the passage drew on this imagery of a house. And this house was our life. And unless God was the one who was building this house, building our lives, it was all being built in vain. And so drawing on that imagery, today we're going to be talking about one of the main aspects of that house that we all need to have in our lives. Now, I'm not going to be technical here because my hands are probably even softer than Andy's, but this would be one of the foundational blocks that we need to build. In fact, if you can get this right today, If you can hear the message of this psalm well, it'll go a long way into making you walk in a deeper relationship with God. In fact, in this very psalm, it calls this action that we're going to be discussing the action of the godly, upright, and righteous person. So what could that be? Is it it loving one another? Is it being in good community? Is it having really nice, quiet times? Well, we're just going to look straight into it. Psalm 32, uh, if you want to turn there, it's up on the screen if you want to read. Psalm 32, starting at verse 1. It's a psalm of David, a, a muscle of David or muscle. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with a bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Confession and forgiveness. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And this psalm really is a tremendous psalm. In fact, the first thing you would have noticed, a lot of your Bibles will say that this psalm is a psalm of David, uh, a mascul or muscle. I'm not a musical person, don't know how to say that, or perhaps even a contemplation. And kind of the idea behind this is this is a psalm written to make someone wise, a psalm of instruction almost. In fact, just like Andy's psalm last week, we could see this psalm probably fitting quite nicely in the book of Proverbs. It starts with, blessed is the one, which is a common thing in wisdom psalms. But more than just a psalm of instruction, this fits into a wider group of psalms that are to do with confession and repentance to God. And I think we can be fairly certain that this is David speaking from his own life experience. We, we, all, we all know here very famously some of the terrible mistakes that David made in his life. But here we get an insight into what went, went on for him in those times. And so we're going to read out verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. And so this psalm really starts in a wonderful way of we get this picture of David rejoicing in the fact that he is forgiven. In fact, he uses this word blessed that really carries with it a a term of contentment, a a holistic term, saying he is content, blessed, rejoicing in this forgiveness. And this actually fits in the book of Psalms as a whole. One of the overriding themes is who is the blessed person? Psalm 1 starts with, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And so overall we see what Psalms answering this question, what is Who is the blessed person and what does that look like? And so David here is rejoicing in his forgiveness. Blessed is the one who is forgiven. In fact, you'll see that this is a point that's really being tried to be emphasized because you'll see it's actually repeated three times. So we see here we actually have three words, first of all, for sin. And English versions try to bring it out. We see blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered, and blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And while some people 
have tried to talk about the specific terms of each of these words and how they mean a different type of sin and that kind of thing. I don't think that's what the point is. I think the point is to show that this really covers a whole range of sin. I think David actually understood the depths and of the destruction of his sin. He knew how bad it was, so bad that in this psalm he uses three different words to describe what he'd done wrong. He knew the depths of his sin. But also, he knew the richness of God's forgiveness. Because we also see here three different types of ways that God has covered over that sin. So we have, first of all, we have the word forgiven. And this word forgiven is, is really a sense of God carrying away sin, almost taking it upon himself. And then we have the word covered, to cover over sin, almost not bringing it to memory anymore. It's no longer in sight. And finally, we have the Lord counts no iniquity. And we see here the image of a man who's standing in court and the judge bangs the gavel and says, you're not guilty. And we see a picture here of justification. And so we get this wonderful picture at the beginning of this psalm of the depths of sin and its ugliness and its destruction but also the richness of God's forgiveness to us. David understood this and he's rejoicing in it. Our God is a great and forgiving Father. What makes these verses particularly interesting, though, is I think we can read through these verses and go, oh, you know, that makes sense. I, I see this in the New Testament a lot. God forgives sins. But you've got to remember that this is written in the Old Testament. I don't know about you, but when you think about the Old Testament, typically I think of the law and the sacrificial system and, and how people were trying to make themselves right with God by being obedient to the law and sacrificing things, and, and that was kind of their way. And then the New Testament came along and everything changed. This psalm actually shows different. That they actually understood, or at least David understood, that God could forgive sins. He could remove them from sight. There's no mention here of the law, no mention here of sacrificial system. David knew that God could remove sin completely from sight. That's what makes this opening statement so amazing. But we're going to come back to that soon. Finally, closing out these verses, we see in verse 2, end of verse 2, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And so we get this picture here of a person who has laid it all bare before God. There's no secret things hidden in his heart. Everything has been brought forward to God. There is no deceit in his spirit. In fact, David actually shows in the next few verses, what this means. He, he gives his life example of what it looks like for a person to have deceit in their heart and then what it looks like for a person to not have deceit in their heart. Look at verses 3 to 5 as David recounts his own experience. Verse 3, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up, as by the heat of summer. You know, David here is describing his terrible condition before he confessed. 
Even though he was the king, even though he had all that he needed, he couldn't just escape this feeling of drying up. It's very graphic. His bones were wasting away. He was being tortured from the inside out. And I wonder if there's anyone in this room today who perhaps feels similar. This feeling that there's things going on in your life or in your heart that you have not given to God, that no one knows about, and it's really eating you away. Although you can distract yourself from it at time to time, as soon as you lay down at night or get yourself alone, it's gnawing at you. And we see this picture in David. Sin was eating him alive. But that's not the end of the story. David does something about this. He does the only thing that a person in that position can do. And that's cry out to God. Verse 5 says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Despite David's unwillingness to repent and his attempts to keep this hidden, despite this grand cover-up, when David confessed, God forgave. And, and this really just brings me to my first point, and is that God's forgiveness is greater than our sin. You know, we see that in the first five verses of this psalm, a tremendous picture of how amazing God's forgiveness is. The magnitude of sin is on display, and yet God says, I can remove that. You are forgiven. Our God is a God who is ready to forgive, who is quick to forgive. And I know in a room like this that many of you here, some of you here, might not call yourself believers. Some of you might not be followers of Jesus. And I think sometimes one of the reasons we, we don't turn to Christ is because we actually think it all sounds too simple. That really there should be an asterisk point on these verses that says, I, I can, God can forgive everyone except, insert your name here. If God really knew what was going on in my life, the stuff that was, I'd done, then he would not forgive me. But I think, also I think there's probably some of you here who are believers, who do follow Jesus, and yet maybe during the week, maybe even today, you get a feeling sometimes that you've gone too far. That you've sinned one too many times and God said, I've had enough. I've got to leave you behind. That you've strayed and, and there's no way back. You know, I've been tempted to believe that before. But can I just say right now, that is a lie. It is the number one tactic of the evil one ever since the garden to convince you that there is no way out, that you're trapped, and that God can't rescue you. That we are outside of God's love and forgiveness. But it's a lie. And if you don't believe me, we're going to do a little test right now. We're going to have some confession time as a group, as a church. 
Um, so I want you to raise your hands. Uh, raise your hands, everyone who's ever told a lie before. Raise your hands. Anyone? Anyone? Okay. Those of you who didn't, you just lied, so we're all on the same, <laughs> same point. Hands up, whoever's told or said something hurtful to another person accidentally. Yep, John's got two hands. <laughs> really feeling guilty now. Okay, hands up for this one. Anyone who's cheated on, another, on one of your best friends with their wife or husband and then strategically and successfully had that person murdered. Anyone? <laughs> I was thinking, what if someone puts their hand up? But Okay, so no one. Well, the guy who wrote this psalm, he did that. And, you know, we read over David's sin with Bathsheba, and I think we, we like to think, oh, it was just an impulsive moment, he made one mistake. But this was a planned, over a number of months, cheat, murder, cover-up. And yet here is this man rejoicing in God's forgiveness. Here is a man who understood the depth of his sin, but also the richness of God's forgiveness. So if you're someone here, whether you're not a believer or whether you are a believer and you feel like you've gone too far, you've sinned one too many times, your sin is too great for God to handle, it's a lie. It's a lie. And you need to run to God. Because his forgiveness is greater than our sin. In fact, David actually points out exactly what we need to do in this next verse. Verse 6 says, Therefore, therefore, because of God's great forgiveness, because of his great grace, therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. God calls, uh, David calls us here, and ultimately God calls us here, to confess. To confess our sins. And you know, this word confess is not a very popular word, I don't think, in our culture today. Confession of our weaknesses is, is not something that is promoted today. In fact, the very opposite is promoted. We're told at all costs to put forward our strengths. No matter what, you, at all costs, you need to show people that you're strong, that you're doing well, that you're confident. I don't know if you ever... I always struggle to fill out the job application forms and you've got to tell all the good things about yourself. You know, I, I, I'm always on time, I'm really reliable. And in the inside, I'm going, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. But we're projecting our strengths. You only have to look, and I know you've heard this example a million times before, but looking on social media, we, we all project this image of ourselves whether it's true or not. So when you're scrolling through on your phone, you say, man, that guy's doing really, really good. You know, I feel terrible at the moment. So what am I going to do? I might just post a selfie as well. And then we create this strength that we're putting forward. No one ever sees our weakness. It actually reminds me of a bit when Sigrid and I began to date each other in, in Poland. By the way, just as a side note, off to the side here, for everyone in church, Signa is from Latvia. She was working in Croatia and we met in Poland. It's really straightforward. Just wanted to clear that up. But besides that when we met each other, we started, you know, putting forward our strengths. We would never have a fight. Everything was smooth. But then 
track, go down the track about three months, and all of a sudden I started to notice a few things. She's not actually as perfect as she initially seems like. I know this is dangerous. I'm not, I'm not married yet. I've got a month to go, so I'm still, I'm still learning. But track down even further to this point now, and I think she's noticing a lot of things. <laughs> and we begin to have fights and arguments, and we have to confess, and we have to show each other weaknesses. But it's not something we want to do. But what about coming into church now? Are we different? You know, this passage calls us to confess, but do we do that? And I I guess I just want to unpack a couple of reasons why I don't think we do, or why sometimes I don't think this is enough of a practice in our church and in our individual Christian lives. And I think one of the reasons we don't sometimes is because we, we don't see confession practiced. I think sometimes, to be honest, confession is seen to be something that only the immature Christian does. It's something you kind of start out doing when you've got a lot of mess in your life, and and as you go down in your Christian life, you just don't confess anymore. In fact, to confess probably means you're not doing very well in your Christian life. Well, can I just say, these verses actually say that's not the truth. They say, therefore, let everyone who is what? Godly. Confessing sin is an act of the godly. Confessing sin is an act of maturity. You know, one of the great joys for me over this last six months has been to see so many young adults here at Canterbury Gardens stand up the front in a group, a room full of people and confess some of their deepest, darkest sins. And to say, I struggle with this, but God's greater. And that's just been a joy, and and that is a step into maturity. Confession is an act of the godly. And I think, secondly, we don't confess because we are afraid of being found out, afraid of being judged. And, and for those of you who are struggling with unconfessed sin, and I've been here before, the thoughts that came to my mind were, if I told that person, or if I confessed that sin, then I was going to be rejected. But it's a lie. We all have our battles. In fact, if I'm willing to bet if everyone here in church could see for a second what everyone else was dealing with in their lives and struggling with, we'd all breathe out a little bit. They go, whew. I'm not the only one. But it doesn't happen very much because I think even when we walk into church, we don't see it. You know, I've got a secret for everyone here. Do you know John Ramson? He actually struggles with sin from time to time. (laughs) Shabu John, he, he actually struggles with sin sometimes. Even Nick, who's about to plant a church, probably from time to time struggles with sin. His wife is nodding there, by the way. (laughs) We all have our battles. And we at Canterbury Gardens need to become a place where confession is something that is seen as good and healthy. We must be a place where confession is seen and 
practice. Because I think sometimes we rock up to church and we see, and everyone just seems to be doing so well. And I've heard from a number of people this week, and I don't know if it's because I was preaching a sermon, but a number of people this week have said to me, am I the only one who has these thoughts? The only one who, who struggles in this way? And I just say, no, you're not. You're not the only one. But why do we think we are? Because we don't confess. We don't, oftentimes, and I know some of you do this well, and that's awesome, but oftentimes we, we don't do this. And we want to, it's so easy to slip in just to putting our best foot forward. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. Nothing is more God-honoring when two sinners confess their sins and seek God together. This is an act of the godly. And so if you're someone here who is struggling with sin, who has it deep inside and not willing to let anyone know, I want to challenge you today to take a step into maturity. To take a step and, and take the godly act and go to God to confess to God. And you know, this doesn't look like standing up in front of a crowd every week and confessing all your deepest, darkest sins. It would be a very depressing church service if we all did that. But you know the people in your life. You know the, the more mature Christians that you have in your life who you can go up to and say, hey, I just need to chat for a little bit about some of the stuff that's going on in my heart. I can guarantee you, well, I can't guarantee you, but if they're walking with Jesus, I, it's highly unlikely that they're going to reject you and judge you for that. And, and if you don't, if there's someone in here, you feel like you have no one to talk to, then come chat to, to John, Shabu, Ivana, one of the other leaders here, and, and I can guarantee you they're not going to reject you. They're going to point you to Jesus and, and walk you through that. That's the godly act. David knew that was the godly act. In fact, he actually shows us here in the next verse how we should approach God. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach you. Reach him. You are a hiding place for me. For you preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. He goes to show that the people who confess, they will be protected from the day of trouble. He actually goes on to show, he says that God is his hiding place. And there's quite a lot of irony in this because when we sin, ever since the garden, you remember what did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? They hid from God. And when we sin, we naturally want to hide from God. We want to run. We want to hide at all costs and keep this strength appearance up. But this verse says, rather ironically, you wouldn't think it to be true, but God is a hiding place for the sinners. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. What a picture here for those who are willing to take a step into godliness, into maturity. And from verse 8 and 9 here, David goes on to give us one more reason why we don't confess. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed 
with a bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. We see in this the image of a person who is struggling and fighting like a horse or a mule, trying to do things their own way. And I think when we don't, we don't confess because we want to clean up our own mess. And I know that rhymed and I didn't mean it. But part of us, when we sin, we either go one of two ways. We either run to try and fix it so we get really religious and we start going to church heaps and doing all these things to try and make the scales more even on our side. Or we run completely the opposite direction and start trying to cover up this feeling in our heart by things that are completely meaningless, things that never can fill up that space. And this is a tiring pursuit, running to and fro, just trying to deal with the issue of our heart. We don't confess because we think we can fix it ourselves. We think we can fix the problem. But that's not true. Only God can. Only God can be our hiding place, our refuge in those times. And so God's love is greater than our sin, and therefore we must confess. We must make confession a part of our Christian walks. And finally, verse 10 and 11, like they really summarize this whole psalm. Here's what they say. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I just want to make one final point here. Because, you know, we've seen that David calls us to confess. And I guess I just want to complete this picture of what confession is. Because I think this aspect of confession and forgiveness is not as easy as it sounds sometimes. I know for myself and probably many others here that there's something that we get caught up in. Look at verse 10. It says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who, what? Not confesses, who trusts in the Lord. You know, this is such a vital point. You know, many of us here, I'm sure, are actually really good at confessing. I am. I actually really easily see the sin in my heart. As a naturally reflective person, an introvert, I, I think too much and I see my sin too much and, and it's just there and I hate it and it just gets me down. And so what tends to happen is I confess to God my sin and I confess to others my sin. I do that, which is an awesome start, but then sometimes for a number of days, sometimes for a number of weeks, I walk around with this feeling of shame and guilt. I walk around with this feeling of I just, I don't feel right. And I let shame and guilt take control. And then, I'm, and then eventually I move beyond it by, by realizing that confession isn't actually complete unless we trust in God. Confession isn't actually complete unless we do what David is doing here and rejoicing in the fact that we are forgiven. David shows us this amazing picture of someone who is rejoicing. Look at verse 11. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice. O righteous, shout for joy, all you upright in heart. 
when we confess, we need to rest also in God's forgiveness. We need to rest to see the depths of our sin, but to rest in the richness of God's forgiveness. We must confess and trust in God. You know, just think for a second, what would your Christian life be like if you could be free from guilt and shame? If you could walk this Christian life without feeling that guilt and shame, would that make a difference to your walk? I know it would make a big difference to mine. And God actually says you can. That you can actually be free from those feelings. We need to rest in who God is in his forgiveness. And you know, hear me right, I'm not saying here that we always have to walk around with this feeling of perfect peace and joy. They're always walking around singing songs and happiness. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. You know, someone once asked Martin Luther, and the question was, if he, do you feel that your sins are forgiven? And this was his reply, no, I don't feel that they are forgiven, but I know they are because God says so in his word, and in that I rejoice. There are times in our Christian walk where we're not going to feel forgiven. There are times where we're going to feel like we're in darkness and we can't get that feeling, but we need to trust that God says we are forgiven. Trust him at his word and rejoice in that, even if you can't rejoice in some of the things going on in your life. It's not about a certain feeling. It's about trusting God. He has carried our sin away. How? Well, as we saw at the beginning, this word forgiveness carries with it this term of God taking it upon himself. And, and David didn't completely understand this. He didn't know exactly how this forgiveness thing worked, but he knew that he followed a God who forgived. But we actually have the privilege of knowing why. Because of Christ. The reason you can live free from guilt and shame is because he bore that guilt and shame. He took it upon himself. He took the punishment of your sin. So run to him. This is so important. This is so pivotal that we don't move beyond this that we don't move beyond running to Jesus and confessing to him and resting in the fact that he has covered our sin. He has done what was necessary. This is why he said, it is finished. It's finished. It's finished in your life. If you're a believer, it is finished. Forgiven. No guilt and shame needed. Keep coming back to that. Keep confessing that him. David understood this. This is why David was called a man after God's own heart, not because he lived a perfect life, not because he didn't sin, but because he understood that even when he did, he could run to God. He could take that to God and say, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't want to do that, but I did, and 
confess and, and then move on. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. And we need to be people after God's own heart. And so as I close here, I just want to say, I don't know where you're at today. I think maybe some of you are in that boat and, and you have some sin in your heart, some unconfessed secret sin in your heart. I don't know. Only you can answer that question. I want to challenge you, first of all, to take that to God, to confess to Him the trust that He can deal with that fully. But I also want to challenge you to take a step and share that with someone else. Confess to someone else. That's going to be one of the major steps you can take to actually overcoming some of these sins. Maybe that's you here today. Maybe you're someone who is good at confessing, kind of like me, good at confessing but not good at resting. This is something I'm growing in that when I make mistakes that I don't actually sit in that but I actually trust in God. And it actually makes sense. As we grow in our Christian lives, of all people, we should hate sin. And so when we see it in ourselves, we hate it and it's so easy to get depressed. But we need to rest. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to rest in God's forgiveness more. Or maybe you are someone here who may be realizing for the first time that you've never trusted in Jesus to forgive you. Maybe you need to take a step into that to experience God's awesome forgiveness, to experience this great God that we follow. Maybe that's you. And, and, and maybe there's some of you who are actually just doing really well at the moment. Maybe you're walking in these things and, and that's awesome. So I just want to challenge you to do what David does here, to rejoice in the fact that that is the case, to rejoice that your sins are forgiven and also to think about how, how can I be modeling confession? How can I be creating a culture here at Canterbury Gardens where people know it's okay to confess? Maybe that's you. Our God is an awesome God. Come to Him. Make Him your hiding place. Today. What we're going to do now is just have three minutes or so of time to reflect. Three minutes just to, for you and God to do business, to put phones and distractions away, and to offer your hearts up to God. If you need to confess, confess. There's going to be some questions up on the screen to help guide you in that time if you need some questions to ask yourself. Just some simple things if they come up. But primarily just to talk to God about what's going on in your heart. Are there things you need to confess? Are there, do you need to rest? And what are some of the, the steps I can be taking this week to move into a deeper relationship with Christ? I'm going to pray and, and then we're going to do that. We're going to spend some time of reflection for three minutes and then we're going to all stand as one and sing Christ alone, cornerstone, and we're going to put our faith and trust in God, in Christ. Let me pray. Lord, I just want to thank you that you are a God who is slow to anger I want to thank you that you're a God who is full of steadfast 
love, abounding in steadfast love. Thank you, Lord, that you don't give us what we deserve. Instead of giving us the punishment that we deserved, you gave us Christ. And you came in the flesh to die and to bore our guilt and our shame and our sin. Lord, thank you for that. Help us now as we reflect and spend some time with you that we will open our hearts to you. That we will not be afraid and to run as we feel like we should, but to run to you, to make you a refuge. And Lord, to keep doing that, to keep running to you, to never move beyond this point. This is not the starting point of the Christian life. This is the continual point we keep coming back to. We keep coming back to Jesus. And so Lord, help us now in this time. It's Jesus' name I pray. Amen.